Sabbath, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Singh, for your kind words of introduction. A special thank you to you also for extending this invitation to me to bring the opening message for this significant series. Highest commendations to you and your team for putting together these meaningful and timely discussions, and not only that, for giving it prime time. I'm really heartened at this show of support for our sisters. And I pray that God will bless each of you richly as you continue to lead and serve. May God genuinely bless you. I'm delighted to be joining the church for worship, albeit virtually. I know that God's presence will be with us, amen because he has promised to inhabit the praise of his people. And when we sing and praise, we know his presence will unite us. So let's worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. To begin this series, we will be looking at a character that is not so well known. Her story is not as popular as the others. We will be looking at Tamar. And her very unusual story is actually recorded in Genesis, and it takes up the entire chapter. It goes from Genesis 1 straight through to verse 30. And you know what? Because you're in the comfort of your own home, I believe we can read the story together. Not so? So we read from verses 1 to 26 in the first instance. So, here we go. And it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chizeb when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an ear to your brother. But Onan knew that the ear would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give her an ear to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house, till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted, and went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah. 
he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timna to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timna. For she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given to him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet, your cord, and the staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place saying, where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said, there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that, Judah was told saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. Wow, is this a strange story or what? You know that this is not a story you would tell your children in Sabbath school. As a matter of fact, I'm sure you never heard that story in Sabbath school. It is so unusual. But you know, that's just what makes the Bible so relevant. It does not downplay this function, hallelujah. It doesn't downplay this function, doesn't sweep it under the rug. And that is why we are going to focus to hear what we can learn from this. The topic of my short message here today is strange grace. Let us pray, Father. As we open your word and listen to your voice, I pray that you will open our ears so we may hear and harden not our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. So Judah was actually the fourth son of Jacob. 
and he was a part of that dysfunctional family because you know, he is the one who spearheaded the trafficking of his brother Joseph and the subsequent cover-up. So I guess his conscience was, no, was not giving him a chance anymore to stand in the presence of his father's grief. It finally got to him, I guess, and he moved away. But as we zoom in on Tamar, we see a woman who was filled with pain and the shame. You see, she had buried two husbands and then she was deceived regarding the third. Because back then, there was the law of leveret marriage. And this law specified what is known as a kinsman redeemer, right? And if a husband died and had no children, the next of kin was obligated to marry his widow. And the first child that was born to this union would belong to the deceased and would receive his inheritance and carry on his name. So Onan, her brother-in-law, was the kinsman redeemer, but he didn't honor his covenant. He complied outwardly as a matter of fact, but we can see that he had no intention of honoring or sharing his physical or his material inheritance. So the Bible tells us that every time he went into her, he spilled his semen on the ground. Pause for effect. Every time he went in. So you know that this was not a one-time affair. It seems to me that he was intent on receiving pleasure without the responsibility. But you know, interestingly, that is just what makes porn so attractive. You click, you fix up, you leave. Pleasure without responsibility. Here we see Tamar being used as a sex object. And God responded. We are told that he was so displeased that he ended his life also. So Tamar was left to bear the pain and the shame of this because son number three was in line and Judah decided, I'm going to end it right here. Because sister, something seems to be wrong with you. Now my wicked sons, something's got to be wrong with you. So he sent her back to her father's house. Could you imagine the pain and the shame? She would have left that village in honor because she was marrying. You could imagine the marriage celebration as she left the village. And now she has to return to that village in pain and condemnation, shamefully returned to her father's house. But you know that? But you know what? Sorry. The story did not end there. She kept up with the current affairs. She listened to the Canaanite Daily Express. And she knew when Sheila became eligible. And she realized that this marriage was not forthcoming. So she 
activated a pregnancy plan. Yep, that's what we read about. It was a pregnancy plan because she decided to take off her widow clothing and put on prostitute clothing. Then she positioned herself, hear me now, she positioned herself. Could I talk for a moment to my sisters? The clothes you wear and the places you visit indicate your status. It lets shoppers know if you're available. So watch your status, my sisters. Watch your status. Okay, so back to Tamar. She knew that Judah's character was very questionable. So she set a trap for him and the trap worked. Judah saw her, he propositioned her. She negotiated her price and watch this. She took her payment up front. You see, she had learned well. So I guess she determined that there was gonna be no more empty promises for her. She ensured that she took what? His signet, his cord, and his staff. She took his identity, his authority. She took his power, mercy. I guess the modern day equivalent for that would be what? His driver's license? What else? His bank card and the pin and his credit card. He pledged all of that for sex mercy. This is a classic case of situation ethics. I want us to consider as we look at Tamar, what she could have gone through, what could have pushed her to this point. You see, she had suffered as a result of the actions of others. Her first husband was wicked, so wicked that God terminated his life. So her life could not have been an easy one. So she was blamed in addition to that. She was lied to and she was used for sex and then abandoned mercy. But you know the sad thing is? The same situation obtains today. There are many tamers who are suffering in silence. But my sisters, I want to tell you today that this story is a message of hope. This story lets you know that everything is naked emphasis and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, Hebrews 4.13 tells us. And you know what? God is going to fix it. God is going to fix it. So she was faced with a moral dilemma. She was damned if you do, damned if you don't. What a thing. But I want us to listen, to know that before we jump to conclusions, we take into considerations what might have pushed her to this point. So this brings us to my first point of emphasis. Empathize rather than criticize. 
as we look at Tamar, let's look past her prostitution. Let us see instead the desperation to be a mother, a desperation that was pushed by a culture that placed a high premium on childbearing, a desperation driven by a culture that tied your identity, your value, your power to your ability to be fruitful and multiply. I encourage us again, empathize rather than criticize. But as we look at the plight of Tamar, it also highlights the moral failure of Judah. You see, Judah showed more integrity to her as a prostitute. Hear me now. Judah showed more integrity to her as a prostitute than he did as a daughter-in-law. He gave her a pledge for sex, but he didn't give her a pledge for her rights. I wonder, do you treat your clients better than your family? Do you treat your friends better than your family? Do you give them more than you give your family? Now notice, Judah sent the pledge with his friend. He didn't go himself. And I asked the question, why didn't he go himself? This was a personal matter. He sent the pledge with his friend. It seems to me, it seems to me that he was carefully monitoring his external image. He wanted to be seen as someone of integrity and uprightness. He wanted it to be out there that he was all good. His external face was different to his internal face. Mercy Jesus. And we see clearly the hypocrisy. But hold up. Before we become horrified by this hypocrisy, let us consider that this sordid story has a lesson for all of us. Mercy, Jesus. You see, despite the beam that is in our eyes, we are quick to see the speck in someone else's. Despite the fact that we are covered in mass, we are quick to point out the mess in someone's hand. And not only that, we're quick to pass judgment on these sinners. And then we feel that we have fulfilled our moral obligation, but God has news for us. I want us to think as we look at Tamar, what she did to fulfill her moral obligation. It took courage for her to do what she did because she knew it could cost her life. And this is very instructive for us. You see, we rationalize our inertia. We say, why speak up? It will make a difference. I can't do anything. Those are big guns, not me. I'm not going there. And so we maintain our comfort. 
But that's why I like these series. It brings us to the stark reality that we have a moral obligation. Hallelujah, somebody. And that brings me to my second point. We have a moral responsibility to protect and support the vulnerable among us. Inspired writings in the book, Mind, the Character and Personality, volume two tells us that when the light of heaven rests continually upon us, we will represent the character of Christ. Isaiah 30, 18 tells us, as we read earlier, that God is a God of justice, amen? So can we do less? Can we demonstrate less? This series is a call for us to examine ourselves. This series is a call for us to demonstrate compassion. It's a call for us to use our power and our influence to seek justice for those trapped in unjust situations. It's a call for us to lend a support Port. And the Bible backs it up because Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We have a moral responsibility, I repeat, to protect and support the vulnerable among us. But while this story is a classic case study of situation ethics, it is also a classic case study of grace. Hallelujah, somebody. You see, God always gives us more than we deserve, amen? And then he turns around and turns our life around. Hallelujah, somebody. And you know, that brings me to my third point. God's grace transforms your life life. Just look at what he did for Tamar. He rescued her and he rescripted her life. Pardon me. How do I know he rescripted her life? Because over in Matthew chapter 1, we see that Tamar was the first woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, hallelujah. The son of her prostitution became the ancestor of our savior. Could somebody say amen for that? God's ways, my brothers and sisters, are strange. They are unusual. They are past finding out. And he wants all the Tamars out there to know that you don't need, listen to me now, you don't need someone's identity to validate yourself. He said, I have called you by name. You are mine. He says, you don't need someone's staff to help you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. He said, you have prostituted yourself in order to make a better life. But my Jesus, I 
he said, have made myself of no reputation so you could inherit my kingdom. So I've got you. You don't need to do all of this. I've got you. But more than that, God's grace not only transforms you, it follows you. I hear the psalmist say, surely goodness, hallelujah, somebody, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, hallelujah. God's goodness is running after me. I don't know about you, but I know his goodness is running after me. Tamar was sent back to her father's house. But God's goodness and mercy followed her. Amen. So God's voice to all the tamers, abused, used, vilified, and victimized. He is saying, my daughter, my daughter, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have redeemed you. I will give you a hope and a future. But you must forgive. You must forgive even as I have forgiven you. But you know, Judah was not left out. Judah was not left out. Because even though he left his father's house, God's goodness and mercy followed him even into the land of the enemy. Hallelujah, somebody. So I hear God's voice to him thundering from the mountain, the Lord, the Lord comes passionate and gracious, hallelujah, somebody, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, hallelujah, forgiving rebellion and the sin, hallelujah, God's grace is greater than our failures, amen, God's grace is greater than our failures. And so we can go back to the end of the story. And we will read from verse 27 down to the end. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was given birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez Marcy. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zira. Is that a strange story or what? This story is strange from beginning to end. So you know I was curious. And then when I saw that the Oxford Dictionary defined the strange as unusual, 
surprising, difficult to understand or explain, I couldn't help but shout hallelujah because that sounds like God. That sounds like my God because God's ways are strange. Hallelujah. They are difficult to understand. They are past finding out as we just learned from the end of the story. As we saw God's strangeness in Tamar's labor room. And then when we look in Matthew 1, we saw that she was the mother, the ancestor for Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we're told, descended from Perez, the one who broke through unexpectedly. Hallelujah, somebody. And this is my fourth and final point. God, listen to me now accomplishes his purposes in unexpected ways and through imperfect people. God's grace is strange. God's grace exemplifies his character. God's grace is strange. It is unusual. It is unexpected. It is difficult to understand God's grace is strange, my brothers and sisters, and it will break through to you. Hallelujah, somebody. It will break through to your circumstances. And God knows that some of us are in strange circumstances. But I want to remind you of Hebrews 4.13, which says, Everything, did I say everything? Everything is naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he sees and he knows and he will break through. He will fix it. He will break it up, as a matter of fact. He will break it up. God's ways are strange. But you know what? Where sin abounds, hallelujah, grace abounds much more, hallelujah, somebody. God's ways are fast, past finding out, pardon me. And both of these characters experienced God's grace. Tamar responded with forgiveness and respect. She could have exposed Judah, but instead she graciously sent his belongings back to him and left the rest to God. Judah, on the other hand, responded with repentance and restoration. Hallelujah, somebody. So what about us? We have received grace upon grace. We have received more than we deserve. This strange grace, freely given, frees us to reach out and free someone else. Hallelujah, somebody. We cannot but reach out and pay back what God has given to us. My question to you today is, what is your response to God's grace? What is your response? Do you want it to break through to your circumstances? 
Will it cause you to demonstrate compassion? Will it cause you to help others receive a breakthrough from their circumstances? What will it do for you? What is your response to this grace? If you desire to experience this breakthrough, I invite you to go ahead and type breakthrough in the chat. This is your commitment. Breakthrough. I invite you today to renew your covenant with God, whatever that covenant is, and you know, because he will bring it to your remembrance if you have forgotten. Renew your covenant with God. And if you have never made a covenant with him, this is a good time to begin. I suggest you begin by committing to have a personal relationship with God, and he will take it from there. God's grace is strange. It is freely given, and it frees us to reach out and free others. Let us pray, Father in heaven. You have seen the responses to your word today. We have heard your voice. And we pray that you will give us the strength and the power to respond in a way that you desire us to. Hear our prayers. Accept ourselves as we recommit to you. And we give thanks again for your strange grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.